0: Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Author of life, we thank you for your word and we ask that as we reflect upon it, your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Last week, I mentioned how the Gospel of John is a gospel centered on wondrous signs. I talked about how those signs point beyond themselves to a larger point. This week we witness yet another sign in the life of Jesus. The story surrounding this sign I find troubling and difficult for a number of reasons. The religious hierarchy of Jesus' time found it troubling for different reasons entirely. So this morning I would like to spend some time talking about the ways that this sign troubles me and how we should approach this story with care. Then, I want to talk about the ways that this sign troubled the religious leaders of Jesus' time, and how we should approach this story with great enthusiasm. So first, let's back up and think about what happens in this passage. We begin by learning that Lazarus of Bethany, the brother of Mary and Martha, has become gravely ill. When the messenger informs Jesus of this fact, Jesus seems, at best, to shrug it off. At worst, he seems to revel in the news. Then, Jesus decides to just chill out for a couple more days before going to see Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. When Jesus eventually decides to go see Lazarus, he first tells his disciples that Lazarus is asleep. They surely had heard the news about his illness and seem relieved to hear that he is managing to get some rest. So Jesus then tells them flat out that Lazarus has, in fact, died. Again, Jesus says that this is a good thing. By the time that Jesus and the disciples get to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They learn that Lazarus has been dead for four days. They arrive to find a stream of people coming to mourn. Martha, hearing that Jesus is finally on the way, heads out of the house and meets him. At this point, she speaks with frustration to her friend, saying, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even so, she has faith that God will still work a miracle through Jesus. In response, Jesus says that Lazarus will rise again. Martha concedes that she believes on the last day her brother will be resurrected. At which point, Jesus ups the ante by informing her that He has the power of resurrection and life. After this back and forth, Martha goes to fetch her sister Mary, who had stayed in the house to grieve the loss of her brother. Weeping, she casts herself at Jesus' feet and echoes her sister's frustration. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died and for the first time in this story, Jesus seems to realize that the people around him have feelings. When Jesus sees Mary weeping at his feet, he is moved and begins to cry with her. At this show of solidarity, some of the bystanders say, look at how he loved him, while others ask the question, Why didn't he keep him from dying? So now that Jesus is full of emotion, he heads to the tomb. To emphasize the point that Lazarus is long dead, Jesus is warned against opening the tomb because of the stench of the corpse. But Jesus has the tomb opened, He makes a great show of the sign that is about to occur so that all the crowd can see it and orders Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Lazarus, wrapped in tomb cloths, faithfully obeys the summons and walks out of the tomb. Our reading ends with the observation that many who saw this believed in Jesus. But if we read a little further, we would see that this sign is the final straw for the religious leaders of Jerusalem, and that from that day forward, they begin plotting his death. I mentioned that I find this story troubling. So let's begin with perhaps the most obvious way that this story could be misused or abused. Jesus intervenes to save his friend from death. How many of us would wish the same for loved ones that we know? How many of us have echoed the voices of Martha and Mary and said, Lord, if you had been there. To be clear, I think their frustrations are perfectly healthy, In the wake of losing someone, especially someone young, it's understandable to turn to God and ask, Okay, where were you in all this? What worries me is that this type of passage can be used to set up a view of God where God intervenes on behalf of some people, but not on behalf of others. It's the kind of worldview that says, if you just pray hard enough or believe hard enough, then God is going to step in and bring your loved one back to full health. There was a megachurch that made the news at the end of last year because they called on their congregation to be unified in prayer to bring back to life a toddler who had died. About a week after the death, they had to admit that the miracle they sought wasn't going to happen. I don't bring them up to pick on them, but to demonstrate how far this belief can be taken. What happens if you believe that God's miracles are dependent on how sincere your own belief is or how fervent your own prayers are. By moving the source of authority from Jesus to those who believe, we can inflict further wounds to the grieving. If we are to approach this story with the amount of care it deserves, We have to recognize that the sign was pointing towards Jesus. It wasn't pointing towards Lazarus or Mary or Martha. It wasn't that they had done something special to merit this intervention. The sign points toward Jesus. It points toward how God used these particular circumstances in the life of Jesus, to signal the ultimate authority vested in the Son by the Father through the power of the Spirit. Which brings me to the next part of the story that I find troubling. Given that this sign points us toward Jesus, it doesn't create a very endearing portrait of Jesus. I think I'm being generous when I say that for most of this story, Jesus comes off poorly. There are plenty of inappropriate responses to the news that your friend is on his deathbed. Jesus' response of, Okay, good, has to be near the top in its inappropriateness. Jesus seems to go out of his way to make a point out of how little he cares about the fact that Lazarus has died. Which might be fine for someone who knows that he has the power of resurrection, but it hardly seems to be a very pastoral response to those who are upset. Jesus is so flippant in his attitude that when he tells the disciples that Lazarus is actually dead, Thomas responds sarcastically by suggesting that they go die with him. Even when Jesus is confronted by Martha, he still doesn't seem to get the fact that his friends are upset. It's not until he sees Mary completely broken that we actually see the humanity in Jesus come to the fore. So here is where I think we need to approach this part of the story with some care. There's a difference between having the knowledge that God has the power over life and death and feeling that knowledge in the moment. Jesus may be speaking the truth, but he isn't speaking it in a way that consoles his friends. This is a lesson for us that even when we may be correct, there is a way to say things. Especially around death, it's sometimes better for us to simply weep with someone as they weep than to try and provide them easy answers. Jesus eventually gets to this point, but it takes him putting his foot in his mouth quite a bit which surfaces a deeper theological truth. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. We often see God in Scripture, negotiating with humans in order to understand our experience. This is the whole point of the Incarnation, that God became like us in order to more perfectly liberate us. Rarely in scripture, however, do we see this negotiation playing out in such an embodied way as Jesus navigating the emotions of his friends in this story. Which brings us to the reason that the religious leaders were troubled by this sign. The resurrection of Lazarus, undeniably proved the claims that were being made about Jesus. He was the Son of God, granted authority through the Spirit to perform miracles. The power to command life itself threatened to upend the very order of the world. It still does. The power over death has been vested throughout human history in the authority of the state, in the sovereign ruler of the nation. But now, Jesus proves, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is actually a power greater than that. That the ultimate judgment lies not in the crown, the scepter, or the sword, but in the living God. And the religious leaders, the ones who had formed an uneasy alliance with Rome, couldn't accept that truth. They may have claimed to worship God, adorned themselves with titles and authority, but what they feared was the judgment of Caesar. This sign gave them no choice. If they were to be loyal to their nation, to their religious structures, they would have to kill anyone who presented a new vision for the world, even if that person was God. This is where we can approach this story with enthusiasm and full-throated affirmation. Jesus is the Son of God, vested with the power of the Holy Spirit. He does present a new vision of the world. To this day, he threatens the way of the world. He causes fear in those who worship money and power. To follow Jesus Christ, To proclaim him our Lord and Savior is to set ourselves against the powers and principalities that lay claim to this world. But as those who walk in the light, we have no other choice. We do not fear what may come of our faith because we serve the one who is the resurrection and the life. Like Mary and Martha, there may be times in our life that we turn to God and say, Lord, if you had been there. And we will be reminded that God was ever with us. We may not see it in the moment. God may not work on our timetables. But God's love does not fail. And the resurrection is coming. Amen. Please pray with me. God, you are indeed the resurrection and the life. Walk with us in our sorrows. Lead us in times of uncertainty. Remind us that when we walk with you, we walk in the light, and we have nothing to fear. Amen.